Welcome to According to the Scriptures, where doing things according to God's Word is of heavenly importance to us. I'm Kyle Webb, your host, and I'm glad that you are here. A few weeks ago, one of our members suggested that we do a study on Ephesians chapter 4, verses 4 through 6. And the reason that he gave is that the seven ones that are found in those verses pretty well cover Christianity and should be fundamental to each of us as Christians. One body, one spirit, one hope, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God. And so we began that study. And today, for an installment of According to the Scriptures, I want to share with you an original recording of the sermon in hopes that it will be beneficial to you. So grab your Bible, a pen and paper if you'd like to take notes, And I'll be back at the end of the program to give you more information about our congregation and how to contact us. So as we look at our our text for this morning, as we look at the text we've been using for um, the last few weeks, we're looking at Ephesians chapter 4, beginning with verse 1. Ephesians chapter 4, beginning with verse 1. I, therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you to walk worthy of the calling with which you were called, with all lowliness and gentleness, with long suffering, bearing with one another in love, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called in one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is above all and through all and in you all. We've been talking about the seven ones and how important they are to uh, Christianity, how, they, how important they are to us. As individuals, one of the, the things that we noticed about these verses is the theme of unity. All throughout these first six verses, it is commonly mentioned that we be unified, uh, that we have unity with one another and with God. And we are united in these things as we are, uh, are noticing these to be singular, one, uh, one body, one spirit. One hope, all of these, you have one as they are singular, so we are singular in our Christianity. We are united as one body. We are united in one spirit. We are united in one hope. We are united in one Lord. We are united in one common faith as brethren. And today, as we look at this lesson, we are united in one baptism. We are saved in the same baptism for the remission of our sins. Those who believe are commanded, it's not a suggestion, as some might put it. Uh, We have different views of baptism uh, from a denominational standpoint. It's important that we have the same view of baptism. It's important that we are united in this one baptism. 
Because really what has been created in a denominational sense, as you look at denominationalism and the, the different teachings in, in regard to baptism, some teach that it's essential, some teach that it's not. Uh, you don't have to do it now, you can do it later. It's not something you have to do, it's just an outward showing of an inner faith. All these different views of baptism are not one baptism. They are not one baptism. So as we look at what is said in Ephesians chapter 4, it teaches very plainly that there is one baptism by which we are saved. It's important that our view of baptism is not something that man has created, that it is not something that man has initiated in any way, shape, or form, but that our view of baptism is what is taught in the Scriptures. There is but one baptism by which we are saved. Those who believe are commanded to be baptized for the remission, for the forgiveness of their sins. And so it is that whenever we offer the Lord's invitation, we almost always say what is necessary. Faith leads us to obedience, repentance, turning away from our sin, and baptism for the remission of sins. All Christians are united in that we all have obeyed the same word of God. If we are truly Christians, now there are people that refer to themselves as Christians that have not been baptized for the remission of their sins. Maybe they were baptized, but they weren't baptized for the right reason. They weren't baptized for the purpose and in the way and manner in which the scriptures present baptism. But all of us that are truly Christians are united in that we have all obeyed the same word of God. The same command given through the the chosen apostles of Jesus. It is first given on the day of Pentecost, following Jesus' death, resurrection, and ascension into heaven. Peter speaking says in Acts 2, beginning with verse 36, Therefore let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Men and brethren, what shall we do? Then Peter said to them, Repent. Let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. What did Peter say? When they asked, Men and brethren, what shall we do? He said, Repent. Let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. For the remission of sins. Two major things that that we need, actually three major things that we need to recognize about Peter's statement. He says, repent and let every one of you. This is a command that is given to all the Jews. And it's a command that is given to all of us today. If we come to the point where they are, where we are cut to the heart, and where we believe, then let every one of you. Be baptized in 
the name of Jesus Christ. There is no other name that we can be saved through. There is no other name in which we are to be baptized in except that of Jesus Christ. Now what Jesus says in Matthew chapter 28 when he gives the Great Commission, he tells them to go into all the world and baptize in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. And that's typically the the form in which if someone is baptized, that's typically what we say. I now baptize you in the name of the Father and of the Son and and of the Holy Spirit. I had a friend of mine that that was telling me the story that uh, he baptized his son. Um, He had the opportunity to do that. And he he jumbled them all up. (laughs) And and I think he started with the Father and and the Spirit and ended with Jesus. And somebody wrote him a card and and told him what it was supposed to be. Um, But it really, if someone is baptized and we don't say that, does that mean that they're not baptized in the right way? Peter says, let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. What if I baptized someone and I said, I now baptize you in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of your sins? That would be scriptural, right? I I remember hearing a a preacher in our preaching school. There's so much that we've learned from from different teachers. And I remember one of them that that said that they, they had difficulty baptizing a certain individual because he was handicapped. They actually had to find a way to lower a wheelchair into the baptistry in order to baptize this individual. And, and he said, I didn't really have time to say anything. I just baptized him and, and brought him up. And that was what they did. He was baptized for the right reason, though. He had the right idea in mind. He knew what he was doing, and, and those that were present knew what they were doing. There really is not a set formula And this is actually, I didn't even have this in my outline, but there's really not a a set formula as to what we have to say when we baptize an individual. But it is important that they be baptized for the right reason, in the right manner, that they be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. And if they are baptized according to what Peter says here, If they have obeyed, they have repented up to the point where they are ready to be baptized and they can be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. But it is important that we recognize that they're not baptized in the name of man. And that was a problem in in the Corinthians. You read the first few chapters of 1 Corinthians and there was an issue where there were some that were saying, well, I'm I'm of Paul and I'm of Apollos. You're not baptized in those names. I was baptized by our preacher at the time at Science Hill, Marion West. But I was not baptized in the name of Marion West. I was baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. We are united in that we are baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. Not what man says, not, not according to what man teaches necessarily. It's what the Bible teaches. That is what I'm baptized in. So let every one of you be baptized. That is a command for every individual that believes. In the name of Jesus Christ, we need to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. But there is purpose behind it as well. For the remission of sins. I had a discussion with a a Baptist preacher and 
And I knew he wasn't going to budge on his position. But I remember we, we discussed this particular verse. You see, he believed that when you repented, you had remission of sins, that you are baptized because of remission of sins. That is not what the Scriptures teach. It says, for the remission of sins. Which means that you do not have remission of sins until you are baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. Repent. Let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins. And you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. But not until you obey do you receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. But that is a promise that is made to each of us as Christians. The same command given to the Jews for the remission of their sins is the same command that is given throughout the New Testament and to us today. In 1 Peter 3, beginning with verse 20, the latter part of verse 20, when once the divine long-suffering waited in the days of Noah while the ark was being prepared, in which a few, that is, eight souls were saved through water, There is also an antitype, a like figure, which now saves us, baptism. Which now saves us, baptism. Not the removal of the filth of the flesh, but the answer of a good conscience toward God through the resurrection of Jesus Christ, who has gone into heaven and is at the right hand of God, angels and authorities and powers having been made subject to Him. Baptism is a like figure as to what we read in Noah. Actually, Noah is a a light figure to baptism. And it says that baptism now saves us. I can tell you the point at which you are a saved individual. It's not at the point of faith. It's not at the point of confession of that faith. It's not at the point of repentance. But when you are baptized for the remission of your sins... You are saved from your sin. You become a saved individual uh, according to the scriptures. Now that doesn't solidify your salvation. There's something more you need to do. You also need to remain faithful. And we'll talk about that later on in our lesson. But baptism is what saves us. Obedience up to that point is necessary as well. But baptism does now save us, according to 1 Peter chapter 3. Uh, souls were saved in baptism and submission to God's will, and so are we saved in the same way today. It hasn't changed. God's word has not changed. And His command has not changed. And nor should we as individuals change what the word of God said. The Word of God says that baptism does now also save us. If we obey in the right manner, in the way that the Scriptures tell us to, then we are saved in baptism. Let me take you to school for a moment. Baptism 101. Is there anything in the Bible that tells us specifically what baptism is? Let's let's go back to the very beginning, the the very fundamentals 
of what baptism is, how do I know what baptism is? You know, we, we, we tend to look at it from, from a standpoint of uh, most of us were raised in the church or at least have somewhat of a church background, and we have an idea of what baptism is. But what does the Bible say that baptism is? And this is very important because if we don't understand baptism from a biblical perspective, we don't understand baptism. Let me start with Mark chapter 1, beginning with verse 9. Mark chapter 1, beginning with verse 9. And here we read of where John baptizes Jesus. And it came to pass in those days that Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. And immediately coming up from the water, he saw the heavens parting and the Spirit descending upon him like a dove. Then a voice came from heaven, You are my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. In the book of John, chapter 1, verses 26 through 28, uh, speaking of this to the priests and the Levites, John says, I baptize with water, but there stands one among you whom you do not know. It is he who, who coming after me is preferred before me, whose sandal strap I am not worthy to loose. These things were done in Bethabara, beyond the Jordan, where John was baptizing. Look also at Acts chapter 8. And let's read verses 36 through 39. And here we read the conversion of the Ethiopian eunuch. Now as they went down the road, they came to some water. And the eunuch said, See, here is water. What hinders me from being baptized? And Philip said, If you believe with all your heart, you may. And he answered and said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. So he commanded the chariot to stand still, and both Philip and the eunuch went down into the water, and he baptized him. And when they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord caught Philip away, so that the eunuch saw him no more. And he went on his way rejoicing. I want you to notice the similarities between these accounts of what they did in order to be baptized. First of all, Jesus with John and then, secondly, the eunuch with Philip. Both went down into the water. And both came up out of the water. Let's go back to, to verse 38 of Acts chapter 8 for a moment. Both Philip and the eunuch went down into the water, and he baptized him. Now when they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord caught Philip away. They went down into the water, and they came up out of the water. According to Scripture, baptism is full immersion in water. We have no scriptural examples of any who were baptized by any other means. By any other means other than going down into the water and coming up out of the water. And what does that mean? It means that from a scriptural standpoint, when we look at, at what others do, what, what the denominations do, and, and they call it baptism, it's not really baptism according to what the Bible says. We have denominations that, that will teach that infants need to be baptized and, 
and they will sprinkle a little bit of water on their heads. You have some individuals, that, and I remember seeing this in a movie where they had Jesus go down into the water, uh, but John didn't dunk him. He, poured, he had a cup of water and poured it on his head. And that's not what baptism is. That's not what the Bible teaches. It's not pouring. It's not sprinkling. That's not baptism. That's man's baptism. That's not God's baptism. God's baptism is full immersion in water. And only when an individual knows that they are in sin, that they need to be saved from their sins, and then they can repent. And then they can be baptized for the remission of those sins, but not until that point. Someone who doesn't realize that they're in sin is not being baptized in the right way because they don't understand the necessity of baptism. But baptism, according to Scripture, is going down into the water. Full immersion baptism and coming up out of the water. Just as in these cases and in every case of conversion in Scripture. Nor do we have any examples of any being baptized in anything but water. But we understand that it is water baptism. Now another good question that we have here. What baptism are we talking about? Is there a difference in baptisms in Scripture? Joe asked me if I was going to include uh, other baptisms and I am. Because it's important that we have uh, the right understanding of the baptism that we participate in today. The first baptism that we really read of in the New Testament is the baptism of John. We understand that John came before Jesus and John was baptizing individuals. I want you to notice... In Acts chapter 18, we've already looked at, at John baptizing Jesus especially. We know how he baptized, but I want you to look at what is said in Acts chapter 18 beginning with verse 24. Now, a certain Jew named Apollos, born at Alexandria, an eloquent man and mighty in the scriptures, came to Ephesus. This man had been instructed in the way of the Lord and being fervent in, in spirit... He spoke and taught accurately the things of the Lord, though he knew only the baptism of John. Notice what is said of Apollos. He's a mighty man in the scriptures. He's a, a mighty preacher, and he's been instructed in the way of the Lord. But even after Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection, he knows only the baptism that was taking place before that. He knows only of the baptism of John, and that's what he is teaching. In verse 26, he began to speak boldly in the synagogue. When Aquila and Priscilla heard him, they took him aside and explained to him the way of God more accurately. And when he desired to cross to Achaia, the brethren wrote, exhorting the disciples to receive him. And when he arrived... He greatly helped those who had believed through grace, for he vigorously refuted the Jews publicly, showing from the scriptures that Jesus is the Christ. Now, following Jesus' crucifixion and resurrection from the dead, 
The baptism of John, which was a precursor to what Jesus was going to establish in the establishment of the church. The baptism of John following the crucifixion and following the resurrection was no longer taught by the apostles. Baptism in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins is what we read of in Peter and what he said in Acts chapter 2. Baptism in which we come in contact with the blood of Christ, which cleanses us. We couldn't do that under John's baptism. You can't come in contact with the blood until after Jesus had shed the blood. And so that's the the difference in the baptisms, uh, the baptism of John and the baptism of Jesus Christ. The difference is that after Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection, we can come, come in contact with the blood of Christ. And we couldn't do that before. And so what baptism are we baptized with today? We are baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. We are baptized for the remission of sins that they could not be fully uh, remitted until after Jesus died on the cross. John's baptism was primarily a baptism of repentance, looking forward to the day that Jesus' baptism was made possible. And so are the sacrifices that were made in the Old Testament. They looked forward to the sacrifice of the perfect Lamb of God. What baptism are we baptized in today? We are baptized in the name of Jesus Christ, which is a little bit different than than John's baptism. And it was important enough that that Aquila and Priscilla pulled Apollos aside to make sure that he understood the need for baptism following the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. What baptism? The baptism of Jesus. The baptism that is established by his apostles on the day of Pentecost when the church is established. What baptism will do for you? I want us to focus just a little bit of time on what baptism will do for you. It allows us to be born again of the water and the Spirit. John 3, beginning with verse 1. There was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God. For no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Jesus answered and said to him, Most assuredly I say to you, unless one is born of water or born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, Most assuredly I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear the sound of it, but cannot tell where it comes from and where it goes. So is everyone who is born of the Spirit. Here specifically in verse 5, Jesus says, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That sounds pretty plain to me, doesn't it? To you? That if we're not born of water 
in the Spirit. That means that if you're not baptized, then you are not able to receive that promise. You are not able to enter the kingdom of God outside of baptism in the name of Jesus Christ. Now, he mentions here water and spirit, and those are important, but there's also another element that we need to talk about, and that is blood. There are three elements in which we are baptized in the spirit, in the water, and the blood. And if those three are not connected, then our baptism is not scriptural. It's not what the Bible teaches. Those who believe are offered eternal life, baptized again in the Spirit, in the water, and in the blood. 1 John chapter 5, beginning with verse 6. This is He who came by water and blood, Jesus Christ. Not only by water, but by water and blood. And it is the Spirit who bears witness, because the Spirit is true. Nor are three that bear For there are three that bear witness in heaven, the Father, the Word, and the Holy Spirit. And these three are one. And there are three that bear witness on earth, the Spirit, the water, and the blood. And these three agree as one. Verse 9, if we receive the witness of men, the witness of God is greater For this is the witness of God, which he has testified of his Son. He who believes in the Son of God has the witness in himself. He who does not believe God has made him a liar, because he has not believed the testimony that God has given of his Son. And this is the testimony that God has given us eternal life, and this life is in his Son. He who has the Son has life. He who does not have the Son of God does not have life. These things I have written to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life, and that you may continue to believe in the name of the Son of God. These three bear witness on earth. The Spirit, the water, and the blood. And it is in all of these three that we understand that we are to be baptized. Of the Spirit, uh, of the Spirit of God, as opposed to that of flesh, that of man, we are born of the Spirit unto eternal life. Of the water, we are baptized in water, which is a representation of the burial of Christ. Romans 6, beginning with verse 1, What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? Certainly not. How shall we who died to sin live any longer in it? Or do you not know that as many of us as were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? Therefore we were buried with him through baptism into death. That just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in the newness of life. For if we have been united together in the likeness of his death, certainly we also shall be in the likeness of his resurrection. Knowing this, that our old man was crucified with him, that the body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves of sin. 
For he who has died has been freed from sin. Now if we died with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with him, knowing that Christ, having been raised from the dead, dies no more. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death that he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life that he lives, he lives to God. Likewise, you also reckon yourselves to be dead indeed to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Notice particularly what it said in verse 4, that therefore we were buried with him through baptism into death. That just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in the newness of life. When you go down into the water of baptism, you are buried. The old man and his sin is buried in that water. Just like Jesus was buried in the tomb, so we are buried in the water. Your sins are not buried until you are baptized. Once you are buried, once you have uh, obeyed that point, you are able to be raised up to live again. Free from the sins of the old man. You were saved. It's a, a representation of what Jesus did. He was buried and he was raised to life. So are you. You are buried and you are raised once again to life. You're buried in water to be resurrected unto eternal life. And of the blood, of the spirit, of the water, and of the blood, the blood of Jesus Christ. Ephesians chapter 2, beginning with verse 11. Therefore remember that you, once Gentiles in the flesh, who are called uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, made in the flesh by hands. That at that time you were without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers from the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. You have been brought near by the blood of Christ. Hebrews 9, verses 11 through 15. But Christ came as as high priest of the good things to come with the greater and more perfect tabernacle not made with hands that is not of this creation. Not with the blood of goats and calves, but with his own blood he entered the most holy place once for all, having obtained eternal redemption. For if the blood of bulls and goats and the ashes of a, a heifer sprinkling the unclean sanctifies for the purifying of the flesh... How much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit, offered himself without spot to God, cleanse your conscience from dead works to serve the living God. And for this reason, he is the mediator of the new covenant by means of death for the redemption of the transgressions under the first covenant that those who are called may receive the promise of the eternal inheritance. The Spirit of God, not of man, not of flesh, but of God. The water and the blood to cleanse us of our sins. Without the water, uh, or without the baptism of all three, we cannot be children of God. Because children of God must be born of these three. Marshall Keeble, in one of his lessons, he uh, gave the importance of water 
and blood. And the way that he described it was with water and dash. Dash is a laundry detergent, which still exists, by the way, as far as I can tell. And the way that he, he said this was that you had to have both. When you wash your clothes, you can't just throw them in the washer and have the water go over them and it cleanse them. That's not how it works, right? He said you have to add the dash. If you add the, the laundry detergent, that's the cleansing agent. However, if you just add the laundry detergent, it's not going to cleanse your clothes either. But you have to have both. You need water and dash in order to cleanse your clothes. And in the same manner, when it comes to baptism, you've got to have water and you've got to have the cleansing agent, which is the blood of Christ. Without those two, without the three, without the spirit, baptism is pretty well nil. It doesn't mean anything. You've got to have the waters, and you've got to have the blood coming in contact with each other in order to cleanse you from your sins. 1 Peter 3.21 that we looked at a moment ago, there is also an antitype which now saves us. Baptism, not the removal, removal of the filth of the flesh, but the answer of a good conscience toward God through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Water and blood together with the Spirit is what saves us. That's baptism. Spirit, the water, and the blood. You cannot separate them or you don't have a scriptural baptism. Any other baptism outside of the Spirit, the water, and the blood, or any absence of any of those three, will not save you from your sin. You've got to have all three. And finally, what baptism will not do for you? Baptism alone, anything alone, will not guarantee your soul's salvation. Faith alone does not guarantee your soul's salvation. It will not save you. Repentance alone will not save you. Baptism alone will not save you. If, if you don't have the repentance... If you're not willing to follow the word of God and, and you're baptized, then it will not save you. Baptism alone does not guarantee your soul's salvation. James chapter 2, verses 14 through 17. What does it profit, my brethren? If someone says he has faith but does not have works, can faith save him? If a brother or sister is naked and destitute of daily food, and one of you says to them, Depart in peace, be warmed and filled, but you do not give them the things which are needed for the body, what, what does it profit? Thus also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. Faith leads us to salvation. It leads you to repent. It leads you to be baptized for the remission of your sins. But faith by itself does not save you. Faith without works does not save you. Now, there's a difference in the types of works that we talk about in Scripture. You have works of merit, and you have works uh, of, uh, of a, an earning sin. You have works that, that are merited by what you believe and, and what you are, are practicing. You have works of obedience that we are taught in Scripture that are important to us. 
Repentance, faith repentance and baptism, those are works, but they're works of obedience. They do not merit salvation. We do not earn our salvation because we believe and because we repent and because we are baptized. But they are works of obedience and they are important. And that's what James says here. Also, faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. So these works of obedience, they do not merit our salvation. We need to understand the importance of that. But they are what guarantees our salvation. As faith leads us to be baptized for our sins, so it also leads us to do the works and the will of God. They do not earn us salvation. Nothing will ever earn us salvation, but works of obedience are very much an important part of what we do. And without them, we cannot be saved. Also, the condition of the soul. It depends on the condition of the soul as to whether baptism will save you or not. If you're baptized without understanding, then you cannot be saved. If you're baptized uh, for the wrong reason, for the wrong purpose, if you don't have the, the right idea in mind about what baptism is, then you are not saved for the remission of your sins. If you're baptized in a denomination, I almost guarantee you that they did not baptize you for the remission of your sins. So the condition of the soul also is very important to our salvation. Baptism will not save if the condition of the soul is not in the proper order, in the proper way that it should be. This whole lesson has been an invitation. Maybe it is that you have not obeyed the gospel and and maybe it is that that you realize your need today and maybe you need to come to Him in obedience. Maybe you need to, to obey the gospel, to repent, to confess your faith in Christ, to be baptized for the remission of your sin. Maybe it is that you've been baptized and maybe you've not been baptized in the way that you should be. Not according to the scriptures. And you need to, to, to take care of that need. We'd be glad to take care of that need for you. Maybe it is that you need to come back to Jesus. Maybe you've been baptized and maybe you've not remained faithful. And maybe you need to, to, to put into practice those works of obedience that we talked about. Whatever your need may be, if you stand outside of Christ today, we want you to come. We want you to make sure... That your salvation is what it should be. That your salvation is sure in God and in His Word. If you need to come, we offer you the opportunity to do so. As together we stand and as we sing. I have decided to follow Jesus. I have decided to follow Jesus. I have decided to follow Jesus. No turning back, no turning back. On behalf of myself and the Mars Hill Church of Christ, we thank you for joining us. We hope you will be back with us next Tuesday at 11 a.m. right here on the Gospel Radio Network at tgrn.org. If you would like to contact us, our phone number is 
1-800-273-3637. If you would like to find out more about our congregation, our website is www.marshillcoc.org. Our email address is marshillcoc at gmail.com. And if you would like to contact us the old-fashioned way, our address is 1135 Rucker Road, Christiana, Tennessee, 37037. If you are in our area, we would love to meet you in person. Our service times are 9 a.m. for Bible study and 10 a.m. for worship on Sunday mornings. Thank you again for joining us, and until we meet again, may God bless you. Yeah. <laughs>